In this course, we've already discussed the power of the phenomena of foundational narratives, sacred values, and transcendent drivers that have outweighed influence over our subconscious, our decisions, our behavior, our worldviews. The phenomenon of foundational narrative will have a powerful and lasting effect not only to the solidarity and strength of a nation to overcome its challenges, but also may have a powerful effect with solidarity political groups within nations. I will cover three key elements in political tribalism. This is far from exhaustive and never fully explains any one case of political polarization. Whether we study polarization as a process or as a fixed phenomenon in a given slice of time. The first element is a need for a clear black and white war between good and evil. Our limbic system favors simplicity, us versus them, our football team against our rivals, my political party against yours. This tribal phenomenon may reward foundational narratives that oversimplify the world into good and evil, black and white. In some, certainly not all, in fact, certainly not most, storytelling traditions, whether it be film or literature, favor a clear protagonist and a clear antagonist. In part, this may perhaps influence a collective subconscious to also look for good and bad sides, or good and evil sides, if you will, of issues in life. To some, this idea of black versus white may feel instinctive. According to Dr. Peter Kreko, a political psychologist in Budapest, and I quote, the art of tribal politics is that it shapes reality. Lies become truth and explain everything in simple terms. And political struggle, he adds, becomes a war between good and evil that demands unconditional support for the leaders of the tribe. If you talk against your own camp, you betray it. You get expelled from the tribe. Tribalism, according to Peter, is a natural form of politics. Democracy is a deviation. Second is the concept of essentialism. According to columnist David Brooks, and I quote, the world is complicated and our minds have limited capacity, so we create categories to help us make sense of things. We divide, say, the social world into types, hipster, evangelical, nerd, and associate traits or characteristics with each. These judgments involve simplifications and generalizations. But we couldn't make sense of the blizzard of century data each day if we couldn't put things, situations, and people into some form of conceptual boxes. As our old friend Immanuel Kant argued, perceptions without conceptions are blind. It may become a serious problem when people begin to believe that these mental constructs reflect underlying realities. This is called essentialism. It is the belief that each of the groups we identify with, our labels, actually has an essential and immutable nature rooted in biology or in the nature of reality. In the worst kind of case, it's the belief, for example, or the misbelief, that Christian Germans are innately superior to Jews. The third concept is something we have discussed in this course, but not in detail the fear of isolation that drives people primordially to join in a shared foundational narrative. 
Some national community and polarized political party narratives include tribe-like threats of shame if an individual fails to follow rules and norms. According to Benet Brown, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Now, it can drive people towards feelings of isolation. Isolation is more than some minor existential crisis. Isolation and loneliness, for example, when an ex-convict or someone shunned by a church the way that perhaps they feel, are health hazards. Loneliness kills. In tribal times, those isolated fear death without the protection from a clan. According to Olivia Fox, the brain equates social need and survival. Being ostracized activates similar neural responses. According to Brigham Young University, professor of psychology and neuroscience, Julian Hold Lundstadt, we are wired, and I quote, to equate loneliness to danger and to switch the body into a defensive state. Now, there have been multiple repeated studies over the past few decades that suggest that isolation, which takes place when shame drives someone towards feelings of loneliness, is a health risk. This type of anxiety in general may benefit a person in the short term to face a challenge or threat, releasing cortisol and adrenaline to increase oxygen in the brain, spike blood pressure to fuel muscles. But in the long term, isolation-driven stress may be a killer. According to UCLA professor of medicine Steve Cole and the University of Chicago professor of psychology and behavior neuroscience John Casiepo, in effect, and I quote, the stress reaction requiring, requires mortgaging our long-term health in favor of our short-term survival. Our bodies are programmed to turn misery into death. In historical and evolutionary terms, this, this reaction could be a good thing since it helps immune cells reach infections and encourages wounds to heal. But it is no way to live. Inflammation promotes the growth of cancer cells, and the development of plaque in the arteries. It leads to the disabling of brain cells, which raises susceptibility to neurodegenerative disease. Many people thus have a visceral drive to live within laws and norms. Dr. Julian Holtlundstadt goes on to explain, being connected to others socially is widely considered a fundamental human need, crucial to both well-being and survival. Some polarized groups and political parties have tapped in this human desire to remain with a clan or clan-like entity. It can be a powerful approach because shame, when it leads to feelings of isolation, kills. We are driven to the group, to the us, even if that group only exists at the extremes. According to Leonard Mladenow, the large a large body of research replicates the findings that our group-based social identity is so strong that we will discriminate against a them in favor of us, even if the rule that distinguishes them from us is akin to flipping a coin. Not only do we identify with a group based on the flimsiest of distinctions, we also look at group members differently, even if group membership is unrelated to any relevant or meaningful personal qualities.